This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Artfield is out this week, but we do have a guest in studio today. It's Brad Young, the director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. A multi-purpose show for you today. We're going to get you ready for the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. We'll also talk about the world of bears and talk about pet vaccines for National Immunization Awareness Month. You can join the conversation with your phone calls. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Or send us an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield out this week, but we do have a guest in studio today. It's Brad Young, director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. So lots of things to talk about today. We're going to get you ready for the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. We'll also talk about the world of bears and uh, pet vaccines. Today, uh, This month is National Immunization Awareness Month. You can join the conversation with your questions and comments. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or you can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. A reminder that Creature Comforts airs twice each week. We're on Thursday mornings at 9. Obviously, you're listening now, and it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. But I guess if you're listening to the repeat broadcast, you're also listening now, as it were. But two chances each week to hear Creature Comforts. Uh, Dr. Major has not made it in yet, possibly stuck in traffic, but we hope that he will get here before the show ends. So hold off on the pet questions this morning. But uh, we are going to be talking with uh, the director of the Mississippi Wildlife, Brad Young, uh, the Wildlife Federation, Brad Young, about the Wildlife Federation, and the upcoming Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. So if you have any uh, calls about that, uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Libby's not here, but she did said word on an upcoming event at the Museum of Natural Science. Uh, it's a presentation on the wild and wonderful world of bats. It's at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, 11 a.m., August 13th, which I think is a Saturday. The presentation will be from Chester Martin, retired wildlife biologist, a Mississippi master naturalist and founder of the Mississippi Bat Working Group. The presentation will include PowerPoint visuals and a discussion of bat biology, Mississippi bat species, survey methods, conservation needs, and management opportunities. That'll be followed by a question and answer period, uh, so you can come to uh, find out more about bats and how they live and why they're important to humans and the ecosystem. So again, that's coming up on August 13th at 11 a presentation about bats, the wonders of the bat world by Chester Martin, who, if I'm not mistaken, has been on Creature Comforts, uh, helping us learn more about bats as well. So good morning, Brad. Uh, good to have you back on the program. Yeah, good morning. Glad to be here. 
Tell us a little bit as we begin about uh, the uh, the purpose of the Wildlife Federation and the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. The Mississippi Wildlife Federation, uh, we are currently in our 70th year of existence. Wow. Uh, that's a long time for any organization, much less a nonprofit conservation group. Uh, started in 1946 by a group of concerned sportsmen and citizens who who wanted to have a say-so in how natural resources in this state are managed. You know, the belief then, as it, as it remains today, is that, you know, natural resources, wildlife, fisheries, whatever the case might be, belong to the people of Mississippi. They do. You know, they're held in, in trust by our, our, our state and federal government agencies uh, to manage them properly. But obviously, they being our resources, we should have a say-so in how those resources are managed. Uh, and that's one of the principles that we we believe in very strongly. Uh, we, of course, do a lot of advocacy and outreach uh, in that regard uh, to make sure that our, our esteemed elected officials and representatives make sound scientific decisions on how our, our natural resources and wildlife are managed. Uh, but also we do a lot of uh, education and outreach as well, you know, uh, trying to especially to to our younger generation, trying to get them, you know, sort of off the couch, as it were, and outdoors to to experience anything. You know, we have a lot of first time fishing programs. Uh, we partner with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks to do uh, fishing rodeos throughout the year. We have Outdoor Rama on the Res in September that's coming up, which is sort of an all-inclusive event where kids can learn how to do everything from, you know, going fishing to canoeing to, you know, shooting shooting guns or rifles uh, for the first time just to experience it, you know, and it's all, of course, in a very safe and supervised manner. Uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a big part of what we do is teaching about conservation, about about wildlife ecology, about uh, our natural resources here in Mississippi and how lucky we are. Uh, you know, we are it's it's been said before that, you know, we're a generation of way away from losing that connection to the land. And that's something that we strive to to try to put a put a curb on, you know, is is to get kids outdoors to to understand what's going on. You know, it's not just about hunting and fishing. We have, you know, youth kayak races. We have youth outdoor photography workshops and contests, things like that. Anything just to get people outside to really reintroduce them to the outdoors. Well, in addition to that connection to the outdoors, uh, it's also a great way for kids to get exercise. As you said, anytime yeah. we can get our youngsters out and about uh, doing things, uh, that certainly is is helpful to to their overall health as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't really put a, a you know a value on what it does to get kids back outside. You know, just outdoors, just playing and being imaginative and. You know, when I was growing up, you know, my parents got so sick of me, they made me go outside. And so <laughs> uh, I learned pretty quickly to entertain myself outdoors, whether it was building a fort or climbing a tree or whatever the case might be. Uh, today, obviously, we have a lot of there are a lot more distractions for kids, you know, whether they be electronic or otherwise that, you know, keep them inside. Uh, and so we that's what I say. We, we really want to kind of reestablish that connection. You know, we we may not beat it back to the point that we were in you know, decades ago by any stretch, but at least they have an understanding of what's what's outside there in their own backyard. And again, as you said, an appreciation uh, so that we can uh, keep our, our natural resources uh, available for, for future generations to enjoy. And I think that's why uh, the work is so important here. We are blessed in Mississippi to have such abundant uh, opportunities and natural resources, and, and that's why this, the conservation efforts are, are, are even more important uh, in our state. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you really, you hit it spot on there and that, you know, we are very blessed to have the the opportunity, the outdoor opportunities that we have in this state. You know, we have abundant 
uh, natural lands. We have abundant waterways that we can take advantage of. You know, we have a, a, a Gulf Coast that, you know, it's it's amazing to, to think how many people kind of in a weird way almost forget about that sometimes that we have the opportunity, you know, just a couple hours away to go, you know, whether it's saltwater fishing or kayaking to the barrier islands or whatever the case might be. So many opportunities. And so in a lot of ways, we've kind of we've sort of taken it for granted, you know, in a lot of ways. And we're naive to think that, you know, without proper management and proper usage that it could be around for the next generation. But that's something we really we really want to keep an eye on. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with our guest today, Brad Young, who is director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. Dr. Major has made it in. He's the veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. So we're going to be talking about the Mississippi Wildlife Federation and the upcoming Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. Brad is also knowledgeable about bears. So if you have a bear question, uh, he might be able to give us some general information about that. And then any pet questions that you have, Dr. Major's here to give you some assistance. So give us a call to join the program at one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. Let's uh, begin on the phone lines. Uh, Dwayne has called in from Bay Springs this morning. Good morning, Dwayne. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, I have a question about geckos. Um, here three or four years ago, all of a sudden, we had them. And now they've taken the place of the tree frogs hanging off the windows at night or whatever. Um, what can you tell me about geckos? Well, this time of year, and I'm, I'm certainly no expert on geckos by any means, but I, I have noticed something similar uh, in my house all of a sudden. I've started seeing geckos and in my garage and, you know, just in places that I uh, a lot more frequently than I had before. Uh, you know, the, well, obviously they're introduced species, right? That's so, right. That's right. They're an introduced species, right? Where did they come from and that kind of deal? I, I can't tell you where they originated from. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people keep them as pets. Um, I'm not sure exactly which country or which area of the area of the country they came from, but uh, you know, they have definitely found their niche in a hot, humid environment such as Mississippi. Uh, I think that they, uh, they they appear to be doing quite well. You can come, like I said, you can come look in my garage and <laughs> see a whole colony of them right now. Uh, this yeah. time of year, of course, you're going to see a lot more of them. Uh, it, as hot as it is, as dry as it's becoming, you know, we haven't had a rain in a, a few days. You start seeing them gravitate towards those those cooler places, those indoor, you know, shaded areas. And, you know, just like you said, you know, as far as taking the place of the tree frog, you know, that's their niche. Uh, you know, they can they they uh, find areas with ample amounts of bugs and insects to eat and uh, tend to gravi- gravitate towards those those areas. Well, they're not hurting anything. And um, and they're really entertaining to watch. I mean, you know, from from inside, it's, it's dark outside, but it's light inside. And you can see them. You're running up and down the windows catching bugs, so it's kind of entertaining. Yeah, and you know what else is entertaining is when my wife sees one in the house. That is, <laughs> that's extremely entertaining because you probably that, heard her scream a couple of nights ago. As a matter of fact, lizards, we got those too. So that's, yeah. that's right. All right, uh, Dwayne, uh, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's uh, get another phone call on the line, and we go to uh, Gabe in Ridgeland. Good morning, Gabe. Morning, morning, Kevin. Dr. Major, so good to talk to you guys again. All right, what do you have for us? I'm Brad, good to have you. Um, before I get to my uh, to my serious question, I want to ask Brad just real quick. Do we see uh, much bear activity uh, in the fall in, um, in urban areas in uh, the state of Georgia? I'm asking that for a reason. Oh. 
Gabe, I think we uh, might have lost you there. Hey. Oh, right. there you are. Okay, okay. go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, before I get to my serious question, I wanted to ask Brad a quick a quick question. Uh, do we see much uh, bear activity in the urban areas in Georgia, especially in the late fall? Uh, I, I couldn't speak for a specific area of Georgia, but I can speak for bear activity in the fall in general. Uh, what we see in the fall is what's what we call the fall shuffle among bears. This is where bears are rapidly intaking as many calories as they possibly can uh, in expectation for the winter. Uh, they'll be seeking out, you know, uh, mass trees, pecans, oaks, things like that. Uh, they're very, acorns are very high in calories, so they'll, they'll gravitate to those kinds of areas. And so in a lot of places, uh, you know, bears that exist on the sort of the fringes of these urban areas, whether it's in Mississippi, Georgia, or wherever, uh, you might start seeing more bears, you know, that, that come sneaking into backyards late at night and, and kind of dining under oak trees and bird feeders and things like that. The reason that I ask, again, before I get to my serious question, is that as an Ole Miss football fan, I'm one of many who uh, are hoping to see some black bear activity in Atlanta. Uh, later. <laughs> that was uh, a very, on, very elaborate on setup on that one, uh, Gabe. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, with you know, with this um, sort of dramatic heat that we're having, you know, 115, 116 um, in a few places in the state today, it made me wonder, I want to ask Dr. Major, and uh, you, Brad, and again, thank you for your serious answer to that question. But um, the, the two-part question I'm going to ask is, for you, Brad, wildlife, whether it's bear, deer, you know, fish, how do their behaviors change when the heat is extreme like it is now? And for you, Dr. Major, I'd ask the same question or for our domesticated animals, you know, dog walking, uh, having animals outside versus inside. Yeah, what do you recommend? Some you know, some basic changes perhaps in owner behavior that we should uh that we should follow to take care of our pets. All right, uh, Gabe, thanks for the question. I'm gonna hold the answer though until this uh, after the break. When we get back, we'll let uh, Brad and Dr. Major address uh the heat and wildlife and our pets. Uh and also we've got some other callers on the line. So Gabe, thanks for the call. We're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have more from Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi, providing learning experiences on all forms of music. Educator resources online and museum tours for grades K through 12 are available. Information at education at grammymuseumms.org. MPB is getting its very own car tag, but first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. 
A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today is Brad Young. He's director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. Libby Hartfield is out this week, so we're looking for pet questions. And also we're going to talk to Brad throughout the hour about the upcoming Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. I went a number of years ago. It's really a great event. So if you've not heard about it, uh, stay tuned because you want to know the details on this uh, that's coming up uh, this weekend in Jackson. Uh, Before the break, Gabe called in to ask a little bit about how how the uh, extreme heat is uh, affecting uh, both wildlife and our domesticated animals, our pets. So, Brad, we'll start with you. What uh, what sorts of effects? I imagine uh, wildlife, just like the rest of us, uh, probably you know try to stay out of the sun or, or ways to beat the heat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you will you will indeed see them change their behavior. Uh, you know, they will, as far as movement patterns and things like that. Uh, obviously, it goes without saying that they will find a nice shady spot to spend the day. Try to avoid. You know, moving as much as possible. Uh, you know, the the only thing that would complicate that is that at certain times of the year, of course, you have outbreaks of deer flies or mosquitoes or whatever the case case might be, and that coupled with the extreme heat that we see, you may see them move to more sort of open areas. You know, like seeing them laying under a tree, you know, in a pasture or even in a backyard or something like that. Uh, that's a you know twofold strategy to number one stay shaded and stay as cool as possible but also to get out of that swarm of insects uh, of course water sources are going to be very important uh, you know as things get hotter some of these some of these water sources begin to dry up you'll start seeing concentrations around around water holes wherever the case might be uh, you know we're not dealing with quite the extreme that we would see in you know Africa or something like that, although it feels like it outside, but <laughs> not quite that extreme as far as wildlife go. But it is the same principle, though. All right, and Dr. Major, for our pets, I guess uh, water and shade also very important uh, when we're talking about uh, our our pets. You know, in the heat, uh, same thing applies to our pets as it does to the people. Uh, hydration is most important. Making sure there's adequate water sources uh, would caution people to walk in their dogs to pick a good time of day. And, you know, the blacktop especially gets very, very hot. Uh, a dog on the road or if you're walking uh, certainly could uh, burn the pads. And we see this uh, not uncommonly uh, during the summer. So be careful there. But sh- shade is important. Uh, it doesn't have to be air conditioned, but uh, shade is very important. And plenty of water. Make sure the water is there. You know, I know they have a lot of uh, clothing for dogs. Have you ever seen shoes for dogs? Sure. Uh, they, the the basic dog shoe itself was developed, I think, mainly for the hunting dogs initially uh, mm-hmm. because of hunting in rocky or uh, areas where there are thorns, briars, this sort of thing. But uh, there are uh, they're not shoes usually like we think of shoes, but they are kind of little boots. And it, some people use them when it's really wet uh, or muddy, and uh, it it they work if you can get the dog to tolerate them. <laughs> Got a couple calls on the line, so let's uh, begin uh, with Lewis in Alabama. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning. There was a question earlier about the um, introduced geckos that are now in Mississippi and throughout the southeast. Uh-huh. 
Um, and the most common species of those is the Mediterranean gecko. Okay. Um, and they were introduced through the ports of the southeast on potted plants from um, places like Italy, Spain, and uh, Greece. All right. All right. So they were stowaways, and then that, that's how Absolutely. they got here. There are a lot right. of animals that come in on right. agricultural produce. Right. Yeah. Same, same port of entry as our finance. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you, and have a good day. All right. Great. Uh, thanks for the call, Lewis. So let's uh, continue on. Uh, Larry's called in from Raymond. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. I have a question. Uh, I hunt with a buddy in near Tallulah along the river, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and about Every time, one out of two times we go deer hunting, we see bear. And I asked him one day, I said, what do you think, Todd? Do these things hibernate? And I was wondering if they hibernate like they do up north of black bears. That's a that's a very good question. And uh, the answer to that would be yes and no. <laughs> so uh, there's your there's your typical wildlife biologist answer for you. <laughs> but uh, but to answer, you know, hibernation is an adapt hibernation in bears or what we call hibernation is an adaptation to a lack of food. So you think about, you know, uh, a, a bear goes through that fall period of the year, like we talked about, where they're packing on calories, there's hard mast available, maybe a little bit of soft mast berries still out there in the woods. But the, what that is is an adaptation to the fact that during the wintertime, a lot of their food sources are going to be gone. So you think about it, even in Mississippi, you know, we, maybe we don't have the acorns or whatever the case might be, but in a more northern climate, you know, their food sources are likely covered by three, four or five feet of snow. So what the bear essentially decides is, well, you know, forget it. You know, I'm just going to punt for the rest of the year and go crawl up in a hole and just sleep it off. Uh, you know, that's one of the, the incredible adaptations that they have is to be able to sleep for literally three months at a time without, you know, having to eat, drink, uh, expel waste, whatever the case might be. And that's an adaptation of that lack of food. So to answer your question, here in the south, obviously, we don't have the extreme winters that we see in more northern latitudes. And so what we see is that in years where we have a poor mast crop, in other words, years where we don't have the oaks and the pecans on the ground like we might in some years, we see bears go into den earlier and stay longer because of that. You know, they they realize that, you know, their food source is dwindling and their best strategy is to is to go to sleep. Uh so among male bears, that's what they will do. You know, we'll see some of them that do. Some of the younger ones, kind of like teenage kids, don't really want to sleep that long. They might they might go down for two weeks or so and get up and move around a little bit and go back down, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the only ones that always, quote unquote, hibernate are females that will have cubs in the den during that winter time. Those are the ones that are they are literally required to what we call hibernate. And uh, to to kind of explain the difference between hibernation and what a bear does, a true hibernation is what you would see in things like chipmunks or flying squirrels, where they literally reduce their metabolism by what forty to sixty percent. Their heart rate slows by almost half. That's a true hibernation where you can literally pick them up and they don't come out of that sleep. Uh, bears go through what's called carnivorian lethargy, where they basically just take a a deeper a deeper nap, so to speak. But uh, obviously, I would not recommend trying to pick them up while they're asleep or anything crazy like that. That would not be wise. But it's not the true hibernation. What it is, like I said, is just an adaptation to that lack of food during that year. Thanks for taking the time to answer my question. All right. 
Good to hear from you, Larry. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and we're visiting today with Brad Young, who is director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. Uh, Upcoming this weekend is the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. Brad, if I remember correctly, this is the 30th annual? It is. It is our 30th one, and I feel like I've been a part of all 30 of them at this point, (laughs) but but I haven't. No, it's a a great event, and, you know, I I think back to, you know, 30 years and how it all started and, and how it began, you know, from such kind of small beginnings with a few vendors and an idea of we could grow this thing into to what it is now where it is literally taking over you know the fairgrounds uh for this entire weekend uh here in here in uh, metro jackson uh it is a a great event and uh you know it's uh, as I always tell people as an executive director, part of my job is taking a lot of credit for things that I didn't really do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the volunteers that we have who make this show possible, uh, the people who've come before me, my board members for the Mississippi Wildlife Federation, you know, they have really been instrumental in, in making this show what it is. Uh, we're going to, over the course of the weekend, from Friday through Sunday, uh, we will have somewhere in the neighborhood of 230 volunteers that come up and help us put on this show. And uh, obviously, I can't say enough about them and them giving their time and efforts to to make it a, make it such a success. All right. So it's but it's more than just sort of a trade show, I imagine. But there are, mm-hmm. first of all, a lot of vendors there. Uh, what are the types of, uh, of people showcasing their wares? What would people yeah. expect to see? Uh, you know, it, it is an outdoor show. And a lot of what a lot of what the theme is, of course, is is hunting and angling. So we have over 200 vendors from basically all over North America. And uh, as anyone who, who hunts or fishes can tell you, we love a good gizmo or a gadget, you know, the new, the newest and the greatest and the, and the, you know, the, the improved on this. And we invented this and that's what this show really is. You know, these guys, they, you know, these are a lot of these guys come up with an idea in their garage and literally develop it, get a patent on it and then start shopping it around to these trade shows and, and introducing it. And that's a lot of what, you know, these, these things, these vendors are. Uh, then of course, you know, you have the, the tried and true guys who, you know, have, uh, anything from tree stands for hunting to kayaks for fishing to, you know, just all sort and manner of, of outdoor gear and apparel and wares and whatever the case might be. It really is. It's a it is a plethora of uh, of things that you'll see there at the show. And uh, what also maybe we you know we talked also about outdoor activities. Has it mm-hmm. kind of expanded to uh, to the, those types of events as well? It really has. And a, a big focus of the show, you know, we have, of course we'll always have the vendors, we'll always have the outdoor products and gear, and that's what a lot of people come to. But to make it a true family show, like what what, what we strive to do to make it a true family show, is that we have really amped up the number of kids activities that are there. Uh, this year, you know, as every year, you know, we have we have a BB gun shooting range inside. We have uh, bows and arrows that the kids can practice on. We have kids casting where they learn about fishing techniques and things like that. You know, if you're a kid, what's what's better than being able to shoot guns and bows and arrows in the house? You know, and that's basically <laughs> that's basically what we've provided for them out there. Uh, we also have uh, Jason Reynolds and his flying retriever show where he has these really incredibly trained dogs and has a big giant fetch tub where the dogs run and jump. You know and kids eat that up. And this year, especially, a new feature that we've added is a live shark tank that is going to be there at the Trademark. And this is going to be something just absolutely incredible. I've seen it. Of course, we've been there at the show at the Trademark setting up for the last few days. It is an 18-wheeler trailer that is basically a giant aquarium that is full of sharks. Mm -hmm. And the guy who puts on the show 
actually puts on scuba gear and goes into the tank with the sharks and narrates the show talking about sharks and what each one is and, you know, all these cool things that he does with the sharks. And so that uh, that is going to be a huge hit with the kids. You know, it, it is literally a mobile aquarium full of these huge sharks. And just, uh, you know, Friday is Kids Day where kids 12 and under get in free of charge. We have all kinds of great giveaways all day long, everything from fishing poles to Stephen Kirkpatrick, uh, Wild Animals in Mississippi book. Uh, t-shirts, just all kinds of good stuff. You know, every kid that comes is going to leave with some sort of a goodie bag, which you know parents certainly love as well. Uh, so, you know, that's that's one of the big features is that it is a true family-friendly show, and so we really have something for everybody. I think I saw the the Retriever show once at the State Fair, and that's a, that is a lot of fun that he really gets those dogs moving around, and I, I think they enjoy jumping in and out of the water like that. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, uh, Angie from Byram, if you could hold on for just a moment, we'll get to your call right after after this break, you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Brad Young, the director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation, about the work the Federation does and also about the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. Dr. Major's here to take some pet questions as well. We'll be back with more Creature Comforts after this. Twenty-seven years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Rolfo's also visiting today with Brad Young, the director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. Libby Hartfield is out this week, uh, but uh, we're taking your calls about uh, wildlife and about pets. Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. As promised, we head back to the phones and we visit with Angie from Byram. Good morning, Angie. Hey, good morning. Uh, Dr. Majors mentioned uh, blisters or, or the asphalt too hot for the dog's feet. Could he elaborate a little bit on the symptoms or, or what to look for? And I'll hang up and listen. Sure. Be glad to. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a lot of times you'll literally see the uh, 
dog's foot, the pad will literally uh, be gone. In other words, they and the dog tries to treat itself by licking and chewing, and it makes it worse a lot of times. So we do see dogs come in that they've actually lost part of that thick, heavy pad. And what do you do in a case like that? And, you know, really the things that I would suggest, and I know this is an old-fashioned treatment, but Epsom salt soak will help toughen up the uh, pads, make it where it's not as painful. Most of the dogs need to be on some sort of antibiotic. Treating it topically, of course, is uh, the dog's foot is going to be on the floor or the ground, inside, wherever you are. You put topicals on it, a lot of times it will literally uh, pick up dirt or other things. So, uh, But this is what we do see, uh, unfortunately, fairly frequently, and sometimes it's for no apparent reasons. Let's say the dog walked through a insecticide or something like that, and sometimes they'll start literally licking and chewing and do a lot of damage to their feet. In some of those cases, steroids will help uh, to help alleviate the uh, uh, actual itchy or the feeling that they need to chew on their feet. And uh, the foot-licking dog, uh, other than having the abscess, not abscess, or the uh, blisters, a lot of times some dogs just worry you to death because they lick their feet a lot. They tend to groom and over-groom. But uh, I hope that answers your question. But uh, I do believe in the Epsom salt soak. Uh, just take regular Epsom salts, uh, warm water, and sometimes you can put the dog in the tub and soak all four feet at the same time. <laughs> but is that something, I guess, both with uh, dogs and cats, uh, excessive grooming, is that something that you kind of need to follow up on and, 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 and maybe uh, go to your vet to check and make sure there's nothing underlying that problem? It is. And a lot of times in cats, they will start uh, doing what's called fur mowing. Uh, actually, uh, just take strips of uh, hair off from excessive grooming, and it gets to be a habit uh, for a lot of those cats. Usually allergies that are involved, and uh, I would suggest consulting with your veterinarian uh, when this type of thing occurs. Now, I'm curious, do do cats like salt? Because I, why I ask is, you know, I, I go out for a walk every afternoon, and obviously it's quite hot, so I'm a little bit sweaty. And when I get home, <laughs> my cat invariably will sit there and just begin to lick on my arm. And, and it's funny, that's the way cats, because he's just going after it. I'm just like, why are you doing this? And after a while, of course, you're like, your little tongue is, is awfully rough. But is it the salt he's after, or is it just maybe uh, something that's kind of soothing to him? Well, other than grooming you, uh, I would say that <laughs> probably the salt does have something to do with it. And uh, animals will lick the owners. Uh, I've seen dogs that would lick uh, people's feet. And, of course, that gets kind of disgusting at some point. Uh, but uh, they do actually kind of semi-groom us sometimes. But I think probably the salt is the uh, issue there of what the cat's trying to do. Well, that's good, too, to know that he's uh, interested enough and wants me to be well-groomed as he <laughs> right. is. Uh, Lena has called in from Biloxi. Good morning. Go ahead. I want to address uh, Cherry Eye. I have a short dog and a tall dog, and the tall dog grooms the short dog's face and makes the, the loose tissues pop out. I've treated it with medication from the vet, but it only lasts for until the next grooming, and I can't watch him 24 hours, 7, that peanut wouldn't stop licking uh, Jack, Jack's face. Yes. Uh, is this something that it's painful to the dog? Um can you just give me some insight into right. the problem? Okay. The cherry eye is a actually the, the nictitating membrane, a third eyelid, if we're talking about the same thing, where it develops a uh, actually lymphoid, lymphoid. 
lymphoid tissue and that it goes out under the third eyelid and it's trapped there. So you have this, uh, people call it a cherry eye, but uh, certainly uh, if it's chronic and it's uh, happening all the time, I suspect it would be wise to have that removed. You don't remove the third eyelid, but you remove that tissue and talk to your vet about that. The other thing, there may be an underlying infection going on. If this dog is licking, the other dog is licking in the eyes, uh, there may be some infection. So it would be great if he didn't, but uh, certainly if there's any infection, that needs to be uh, treated as well. Cherry eye will sometimes spontaneously uh, regress, but in most cases it comes back again. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with our guest, uh, Brad Young, director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. And Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. We've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Brad, before we head back to the phones, we're talking about the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza coming up this weekend. Uh, if you could give us the hours. Yeah, yeah. We will open the doors at uh, 2 o'clock on Friday. Uh, We will stay open from 2 to 8 on Friday. And like I said before, Friday is Kids Day, where kids 12 and under get in free of charge. Uh, For adults, it's a $10 ticket. Uh, Saturday, the doors will open at 9 a.m. and stay open until 7 p.m. Tickets will be $10 for adults, uh, kids uh, 12 and or kids 12 to 5 or 5 to 12 or five dollars kids five and under get in free and then sunday from 10 a.m until 5 p.m that'll be the end of the show and that is at the trademark in uh, in jackson mm-hmm. back to the phone lines we go we start again in osaka kathleen is on the line good morning hi kevin crew uh i got a tale of the sneaky kind okay i'm in the rural area which we all expect them to be because this is their home I walk out my laundry room, and this large, I'm talking four to five foot, solid black snake that had little, looks like bubble wrap on the sides. His little scales were kind of just slightly puffed. He lunges at the door and keeps lunging. I slam the door. I didn't hear anything. I open the door, he lunges again. Well, I reach behind me. The only thing I have was a half a gallon of bleach. I got open the door, and I squirted everything I could squirt, the walls, the floor, the, the concrete, everything. I shut the door. I'm thinking, that's it. I hear it still flapping on the outside of the door. So I grab a can of this uh, 24-foot insect spray. I said, this is the only thing I got. My gun was upstairs, and even if I had my gun, I couldn't shoot this thing because it was rolling around like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> so I get that thing, and I open the door again, and as I'm shooting the black snake, I happen to look down. I see a tail of a gray snake going out my laundry room door. So I had one in the house right by my foot that I didn't see and a black one right out the door. I want you to know I went upstairs. I said if I would have had a bar in the bath, uh, bedroom or anywhere, <laughs> it would have had to calm me down. And I don't know what made this snake do it, but he was whirling and spinning and flipping and he looked like a Tasmanian devil. I had no idea. <laughs> Some people say he was a coach whip. Some people say he was a black runner. I said, I didn't ask an ID. I just <laughs> didn't. What, what is it? Uh, panic first and ask questions later? <laughs> I was halfway up the stairs before I realized the snake wasn't chasing me. <laughs> well, 
good luck to all you rural people out there, and keep an eye out. I found out since then that this is uh, last two weeks of July and first week's August, a pretty prime time for most snakes to breed. So I said, well, I'll just leave them on their vacation. I'm taking mine. Okay. (laughs) All right, uh, Kathleen, thanks for the story. I I guess part of that, as we said, uh, maybe the snake trying to find relief from from the heat, uh, then Mm -hmm. they found a cool spot to try to get to. Sure, sure. I mean, it could, you know. it's, I don't know what her house is like, but obviously, if it's a raised, you know, house with a uh, an open area underneath, you know, if you think about it. That's a great place to be if you were a snake. You know, they uh, obviously can't pant or control their own body heat, so they have to look for those kinds of places. Uh, you know, this as far as the snake flying around like that, I I don't I don't have a good explanation for that uh, other than maybe the other snake that was already in the house was its friend and it was knocking on the door trying to <laughs> tell him to come on out. Or, uh, well, it, it may have been trying to eat him. Uh, I, you know, yeah. that's also a possibility. Uh, it didn't sound exactly like a king snake, but uh, they they will definitely uh, eat other snakes. So yeah. I, I'm not sure what what was going on there either. Yeah, I don't, and the only other thing is if they were. If they were the same species or perhaps a similar enough species, maybe the snake that had gone into the laundry room had left a trail of pheromones that the mm-hmm. other snake was following. Uh, maybe there's you know love in the air uh, among snakes <laughs> this time of year. Uh, that would that would be that's about the extent of my expertise. I'm afraid though. I must credit to Snake Day for uh, – I'm still a little bit uh, wary of snakes, but I know after having uh, been on the show uh, several years and actually having a chance to handle a snake and and see them up close, uh, I'm I'm not as afraid of them. I kind of give them their space, and and they give them mine, and I think that that's always – the best uh, uh, course of action is to just – they're kind of afraid, more afraid of us than we of them. So if you just give them some space, I think that's usually the best way to go. We've got some phone lines lined up, but we need to take one final break this hour. So when we get back, we've got some folks in Oxford, Port Gibson, Corinth, and Jackson to talk to. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back with those calls and to wrap up the program after this. print impaired mpb's radio reading service is here for you our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you for information and to see if you qualify call us at 601-432-6301 this is an mpb think radio podcast to hear previous shows visit mpbonline.org or download the mpb public radio app to listen on your iphone or android phone on demand Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest, the director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation, Brad Young. We've got some phone lines lined up, so let's head immediately back to the phone lines. Beginning in Oxford, we say good morning to Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, We have a wonderful park here in Oxford called Avent Park. And after the last rainstorm, we had a very large puddle, which stayed. It's only finally just now gone. But the puddle was filled with tadpoles. It was on the sidewalk and on the side in the grass. And uh, it slowly, slowly got smaller and smaller, and the tadpoles started getting legs. Um, And it was a a joy to watch the children. I showed them how to start filling it up with water, and then the the kids, the little boys particularly, were just, you know, uh, 
ecstatic about the tadpoles, and they started to take some home in some of the you know, garbage bottles, you know. <laughs> and I just wondered, uh, now it's mud, so uh, what happens to the tadpoles? Do they get into the mud and wait until the next rainstorm, or are they just dead? It, I think it would depend. I wish this was a question about bears, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, it, uh, certain species, yes, that is their that is their uh, sort of adaptation to life. Is that you know they they can burrow into mud and what's called estivate and yeah. basically stay in that mud cocoon until the next time that you get a, a large rain or a you know prolonged period. Uh, and then they can emerge, and uh, and you know that's a part of their life cycle. Uh, you know that is their ad- that is a an amphibian adaptation to you know wet and dry periods, and uh, certainly that's why they've they've been so successful, and why some of them are imperiled in that way because they have lost some of that habitat and some of that hydrology that's needed to complete their their life cycle. But when, uh, when do they get gills? When do the gills leave and they get lungs? Oh yeah. I, I I couldn't tell you that. I'm, I I really wouldn't have an idea as far as timeline goes. Yeah, I would I would say this that uh, it's very rapid uh, with these tadpoles. There was some, you know, we had pretty good rain here the other day, and I was walking outside the clinic, and you know, there were there were just a little hole full of uh, tadpoles, but they develop very rapidly. I uh-huh. would say probably uh, two weeks, probably from the time that they you start seeing them. Mm-hmm. Until the time they have legs, and once they develop legs, they're going to get out of there pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they just got the back legs. I didn't see any with front legs, okay. but, uh, <laughs> but anyway. I hope they survive. And the kids, I said, you know, they they just had a ball, and they they learned something. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. Hey, Anna, thanks for your call this morning. Let's uh, move on. Next, we go to Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Yes, I know I don't have much time, but I have a question about my cat. Yes. Um. I noticed, uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago, that uh, it was like a a spot where it's like she had pulled her hair, pulled her fur out. Yes. And it's like a patch. And it, I, I could notice it must have been itching because she's constantly scratching it. And then I noticed yesterday there was a little patch on her back. Somebody told me to put iodine on it or put just some hydrocortisone. But uh, is that a good practice or can you tell me what to do? Is she an inside cat or inside outside? Yes, she's inside. She declawed. And you got your fleas under control? I don't. Does she have fleas? No. I'm legally blind, so I okay, okay. I don't hear nothing. I don't see nothing flying around on her. Yes, ma'am. Just constantly scratching and looking at stuff. <laughs> right, you but might patch. Right, there's cert- certainly nothing wrong with uh, using uh, hydrocortisone type cream or just triple antibiotic. Uh, if this continues to spread, though, you probably need to get her into the vet <coughs> because you know it certainly could be ringworm. It could be something else. Uh, it could be an allergy. How old is this cat? Seven. Seven years old? Yes. Well, I would do what you said. I don't know that I'd put iodine on it, especially if it's strong iodine. She would probably lick it. But uh, I would suggest that maybe uh, using triple antibiotic uh, for a little while would help. And if this persists or gets worse, you need to try to get her in and have her checked by a vet. 
right, Linda, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move along now. Next, we go to James in Corinth. Good morning, James. Good morning. Got a quick question about my dog. I've got a panda pit, and he's uh, almost two years old. And I have tried everything to get him to stop chewing everything. I'm talking about metal, wood, plastic, doesn't matter. He eats it. And I cannot figure out how to get him to stop. And he's two years old? Yep. What have you done so far as far as trying? Uh, I, well, I've tried pinning him, and he chewed through the the wire fence. Right. Uh, I've tried taking and uh, spraying my, because he ate, I've got a deck on the front of my house, and he ate through my lattice. And so I tried taking and spraying the lattice with bleach, and he ate through it anyway, and he, he just, it's constantly, I've got almost no lattice left. He's almost eating everything. Right. And buckets and everything. I've tried just to keep everything picked up, but he 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 drags everything up, and it'll start out as like say a five gallon bucket, and then it'll turn into a gallon bucket. Do you have other dogs? Uh, no, he's just my only dog. I've got a dog and cat. All right. Some of this, some of this could. I hate to even use the word boredom, but uh, it certainly could be that he's uh, transfixed with this. It might help, and I hesitate to say this might help to have another dog. Uh, at least to take his attention off the chewing so much. The only right. problem with me saying that is that both of them might start chewing. But uh, right. I, I would okay. I would suggest that maybe something to change his environment somewhat, which is hard. Well, we to do. just moved, and he I just bought a house. Yes, sir. And uh, he did it at the old house, and right. now he's constantly still doing it at right. the new house as well. It's gonna be a hard. Having toys out there, I've got I bought him toys and chew bones right. and and everything, but he would rather chew on everything else. He sounds more like a lab. Most people have problems with their labs for about two years to three years. Once they get past that stage with the labs, usually they're perfect. But uh, I've seen them dig up trees and eat the roots and uh, eat the fenders off the lawnmower. Oh, yeah. Cetera, he, he chewed the, I had a bad tire on my riding mower, and uh, the uh, it had a little piece of rubber hanging off of it. He chewed half the tire off. Right, right. <laughs> so it's going to be a difficult problem. I wish I could give you more. Uh, hope, uh, but changing, I know you change the environment by moving, but uh, something's got to uh, change his attitude. Uh, I hesitate saying drugs, uh, but sometimes uh, if you talk to your vet, there might be something that you could give which would change his behavior. Good luck to you. I wish I had more information to help you. Thanks, James, for the call. Let's get uh, one last call in for the hour, and it goes to Virginia in Jackson. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, we've had a Noli in uh, the southeast for millennia, uh, and uh, and then I've heard a lot of conversation, including on the show this morning, about geckos, and um, I don't believe they're the same, and I'm wondering if, if you could tell me how to differentiate between an Anoli and a gecko. They're both lizards, but I don't think they're in the same family, so uh, is one bigger? Are their colors different? How can you tell them apart? Yeah, a, a lizard is, uh, you know, an anole is what you would picture as a lizard. You know, that's what I think of, you know, sort of a long tail, a narrow kind of pointed head, whatever the case might be, versus the geckos that I think of are the real small, maybe, you know, just an inch or two long. They're almost kind of translucent in color, sort of a lightish color. Uh, they have a wider head on them, but they're they're much much smaller right. than a than a lizard. They have little suction toes, almost. The toes look like they're kind of like little 
fat toes. Mm-hmm. Whereas your anole, uh, if you're talking about the same thing that I'm thinking you are, they can change color uh, depending on where they are, uh, yeah. from green to brown. Right. That's, that's the usual change. And they're longer than the gecko would be. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if some people, are, the gecko was popularized by, a, I believe, a insurance company or something. Right. I'm wondering <laughs> if folks could be calling anole geckos, or uh, is, is there, uh, are they that different? They're quite different, yes. Mm-hmm. But you're right. That one on the Geico commercials, he does look like an anole, uh, <laughs> much more so than the gecko that I'm thinking of. So I, th- he, I think he's be. an Australian uh, <laughs> gecko. I think it's Virginia. <laughs> thanks for the call. You know, actually, that's uh, I, on the on the internet. I've seen that they're trying to determine is he British, is he Australian, <laughs> is he South African? Who knows? But uh, he certainly is a, a popular advertising. Um, um, icon. Uh, Brad, got just a little bit of time left. If you could again remind us of the times for the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. Yeah, the Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza uh, will be at the Trademart in, uh, in downtown Jackson, uh, right there off of High Street. Uh, t- it begins tomorrow, Friday, uh, at uh, 2 p.m. and goes until 8 p.m. Uh, and reminder again that Friday is Kids Day, where kids 12 and under get in free. Uh, Saturday, the show runs from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. All right, very good. And also a reminder, at the Museum of Natural Science on Saturday, August 13th at 11, a program called Wonders of the Bat World. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Jonas Adams, and our call screener this morning was Sherita Brent. So for Dr. Troy Major and our guest Brad Young, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells, and that's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.